Hey, welcome back. It's the Bill Bennett Show. We take a look at the news of the day. We have thoughtful conversations about things that matter. John Hinderocker will join us today, one of the founders of Powerline, president of the Center of the American Experiment. So, John Hinderocker, how's your governor doing on COVID? Is it is it getting worse in Minnesota? You know, it's really not, Bill. Uh, it's it, The timing here is great because today is the one-year anniversary of when our governor, Tim Walls, declared an emergency. And under under Minnesota statutes, and the emergency is still in effect a year later. And we had at least one day in the last week when there were zero uh, COVID-related deaths recorded. And so a lot of people are asking, zero. when when does the emergency end? You know, is the emergency ever ever going to be over? And it's really extraordinary because. You know, Minnesota has this statute, like a lot of states, and you can understand why it makes sense. But it it was written, I think, in the 1950s in contemplation of a flood or a tornado or something like that, where you need rapid action. The legislature probably isn't even in session, you know, and they can't act fast in any event. And so it has this broad language giving governors the power to deal with um, natural emergencies. And our governor, and it's true in other states as well, our governor has just taken that horse and ridden it uh, for the last year. These uh, liberal governors do tend toward coercion in a way that conservative governors don't. I remember that line from C.S. Lewis about the worst thing is to be punished by somebody who thinks they're doing it for your own good. (laughs) Much better to be punished by someone who hates you and says, this is really going to hurt, and it's bad for you. Much worse to be punished by someone who says, I know I'm punishing you, but it's, it's for your own good. They like control. I, oh, they love control. I, I think that's the, that's the end in itself. I mean, our governor is a classic. He's always talking about turning the dials. You know, I'm turning the dials on your lives. And, and I always, when he says that, I always picture a scene of like, from like 1984 or something where, where a torturer, you know, is turning the dials. Right. right. Winston Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what the way it always comes across to me, but he just loves. You know, to- what was that guy? Was it Jack Kevorkian? Was that, yeah. was that the guy? Yeah. 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 He, turning he the turned dials. the dials on 60 minutes, I think. Right. Yeah. And those are the images I always get. And he just loves exercising this minute control over our lives. What, what percentage of capacity can restaurants be at? Meanwhile, restaurants are going broke and closing, going out of business and, you know, and, 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 and there's all this minutia uh, where, where, where our lives are being, are being run by, the governor, and there's no end in sight. And, and despite requests from a number of quarters, including my friend and partner, Scott Johnson, whom you know, who is accredited now as a, as a reporter and has been, after huh. following a lawsuit by him, is now admitted to these press briefings they give, and they're required to answer his questions. And so one of the questions Scott has asked is, what are the criteria that will tell us the emergency is over and they, they cannot answer. There is no answer. It's unbelievable. Uh, so I can't go into downtown Minneapolis and restaurant and order a big plate of lutefisk. <laughs> well, you shouldn't do that. I know, I know, I know, I know. We've been down this road before. I know. Well, I'll tell you, the restaurants are back open. They're still limited capacity, but restaurants are open. But I, you'd have a hard time finding an open restaurant in downtown Minneapolis. Downtown Minneapolis is is pretty much a ghost town. What's there is largely boarded up. Uh, there's National Guard, you know, patrolling. 
our government center is surrounded by concrete barriers and barbed wire. Uh, that's not a place where you would try to go for lunch. Well, uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask you this because I've been paying a lot of attention to New York. I'm a native New York. I grew up in Brooklyn. Noticed a couple of things. First of all, both of our sons, once they graduated college or business school, went to New York for the obligatory year, you know? Yeah. To, you know, Wall Street, whatever. Yeah. That's not happening now. They're, they're not going. And the place is emptying out. And I just saw a number that they expect in October, 60% of office capacity will be unfilled. Is that happening in Minneapolis? Is that happening is. in other cities? Oh, it absolutely wow. You know, just for example, my old law firm where I practiced for 41 years, last I knew had uh, 13 floors on the 50-story Wells Fargo uh, center. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, now that building, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, I don't think there's been anybody in it for a year. They're not there. There's nobody there. They're not even talking about going back. I, I, I think these these major office buildings in downtown Minneapolis are just deserted. The, the, the whole area is largely a ghost town. And, and, and to your point about Manhattan, you know, Bill, on a, on a smaller scale, when I, st- when I moved to Minnesota after law school and started practicing law, you had to be in downtown Minneapolis. You know, that's where the business sure. was. That's sure. where the clients sure. were. That's where the meetings took place. There was sure. no doubt about it. You know, you had to be located where the, where the action was. Well, for the last year, people have pretty well figured out that they can get along very well without, you know, that kind of uh, geographic concentration. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see when 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 governors like Cuomo and and uh, and Walls and mayors like de Blasio, you know, finally allow these cities to get back in business. Is it going to happen? I just read that uh, it's a bill coming out of the legislature in New York. It's going to raise taxes. I mean, that that, that would seem insane to me. Our governor's see- trying to raise taxes, too, Bill. It's unbelievable. What, what does C.S. Lewis say when the when the boats you know, half filled with water, get out the hoses, you know? <laughs> right. You know, I've been following stories about the exodus from Manhattan, you know, the financial yep, organizations yep, that yep, have moved yep. to Florida and so on. And I saw one story, uh, I forget which newspaper it was in, but basically they were quoting one guy. <laughs> there was one, one guy who was the source of this story, but it was optimistically saying that a lot of these, these folks that have moved to Florida don't really like it down there and they can't wait to get back to New York, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. You know, I've spent some time in Florida lately, but one of the things this guy is saying is, yeah, well, you know, people want to get back to New York where all the great restaurants are. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, if there's anybody who thinks the only place you can get good food is in New York city, he's, he's delusional. Well, a plus a lot of them aren't open or they're right. very limited. Right. And, and, you know, I heard somebody say, go back to the same thing, delusional. Let's go back to New York and have a great dinner and go to a show. There ain't yeah, no shows. Show. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, why what did I go back to New York, you know? So, I, I, you know, I think this trend was going on anyway. I don't know if you ever read any stuff by Joel Kotkin. Uh, so. I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, that, this trend is sort of what he did two years ago and pointed out the Trump America was growing. People were moving to Trump America, moving out of blue America. Right. And if anything, COVID has accelerated that. Absolutely. So what about your schools? Are your schools open? No, I mean, it varies from district to district. Uh, Like most places, our kids have basically missed a year of school. One of the uh, controversies going on right now is our teachers union, which is 
the number one political force in Minnesota and the force that has prevented the schools from opening. They've stood in the, you know, they're like Orville Faubus, you know, standing in the schoolhouse door and saying kids can't come in. Except they're and, not in the schoolhouse door. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, right. They're, they're in Bermuda yeah, saying the kids can't come in. Go ahead. Right. And, and But the battle right now is they don't want kids tested. You know, they, they don't want the usual standardized tests that are given every spring. Sure they know. Because they know what they're going to show. They're going to show that the kids have just lost a year out of their lives and the results are going to be disastrous. Uh, and they're trying All right, you to talked to, you talked about 41 years of law practice for more than 41 years since I'm so much older than you are. I've been talking about the teachers unions. Have I made my point yet? I mean, <laughs> you know, one of the first things I said as secretary of education, I said, other than organized crime, this is the worst organization in the country. Um, I don't know if you know this story, but uh, when I became secretary, they came to see me before I was confirmed head of the NEA. And they said, we'd like to work with you. I said, fine, I'd like to work with you too. They said, it'd be a good idea to work together. I said, yeah. I said, but if we can't work together, frankly, Mr. Secretary, we can make your, your life pretty miserable. I said, what are you going to do, put a horse in my bed? You remember, remember, remember the guy? I did. I said that. Remember the godfather? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean they, they were threatening me. I said, remember the cabinet. You're threatening me. <laughs> well, you, you said the only organization worse was organized crime. Well, since that time, we've really defeated the mafia. And I think the teachers unions probably stand alone today as the most hurtful organizations <laughs> in our country. And if there's yeah. one silver lining of COVID, Bill, I think for the first time, a lot of people are figuring that out. You know, the teachers unions have always yep. had a fuzzy image. And I think people are starting to figure out that they're the problem. But, you know, I always thought, though, that they were smart. What they're doing now is not smart, John. No, it's not. I mean, say, okay, you know, let's defer to massive public opinion, to our clientele, to the children, to science, even right. to Anthony Fauci, right. and go back to school. What are they doing? This is self-destructive. Yeah, it's really interesting, Bill. I, I don't, I, I, honestly, I don't understand it because I think they have way overplayed their hand. And, and I've written about this on Powerline, you know, I mean, this whole, you know, the teachers can't go back to work, but, you know, you go to the grocery store, people are working, you go to Total Wine, and all these clerks, they're seeing way, they're being exposed to way more people in a day than the teachers, and they're not little kids either. Yeah. And and I've said at one point, you know, I've got to the point where I'd rather have my kids taught by the clerks at Total Wine than by members of the teachers union. And I know. Total Wine folks will show up. <laughs> Every time you say something, I'm sorry. I, I'm not trying to story top you, but our minds run the same way. Another quote of mine that went around that people got very upset about. They showed me this new stuff and sex education going on in the schools. I said, better off learning in the street. <laughs> You know, schools. I just the stuff in the schools was worse than the street. You know, I'm sure that's true. Yeah. I'm sure that's true. Well, here again, Bill. I think it's I think it's a silver lining of COVID because for the first time, many many parents have been forced yeah. to consider alternatives to the public schools. And yeah. what, what, so I'm I'm sure it's true around the country, but here in Minnesota, we're seeing skyrocketing enrollments in private schools, uh, Catholic schools, and others. With long waiting lists, we're seeing uh, rapidly growing charter school enrollment. We're seeing pods, like you mentioned, and we're seeing a lot of homeschool. Yeah, 
I don't know what else to say except, so I went highfalutin John the other day on TV and I said, all I can think of is Vaclav Havel. And Havel says there's, you know, there's no straitjacket of the mind like ideology. And when you have an ideology, you live the lie and you just keep lying in order to preserve the ideology. Just, just lie. They're lying, but it seems to me they're hurting their, their cause. Well, I sure hope so. I think part of it, Bill, is they're used to getting their own way. But, you know, they're used to having nobody stand up to them. They're used to being the big gorilla and getting whatever they want. And uh, and, and maybe they just, uh, you know, they don't understand that, 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 they've, that they've reached a limit. Supposing Biden said, called them up and said, hey, you got to go back to school. I'm standing up to you. You guys go back to school. I'm telling you, go back to school. What do you think they'd say? I think they'd say no. Yeah, they're not afraid of him. No. So I was saying the other day, maybe correct me on this, that they maybe are the number one force at the National Democrat Convention. I said that I got a call from our friend Mark Krikorian, you know, Mark. Yeah. He said, no, they're powerful. But right now, the immigration lobby is the most powerful part of the Democratic Party. Most powerful. We'll talk about that later when we get to the border. But they are powerful. Okay, I'm going to give you a plug. You're going to be on every night with Laura Ingram. Uh, and, and depending on the news cycle, they might they might not choose to put me on. But but they're planning on doing a segment each each night next week on the Derek Chauvin trial. And so I'll be I'll be doing that for them. Tell us what's going on. Start from the top. I, I'm not following it closely. I got I you know I got I got so sort of drenched in it and all the George Floyd stuff. I just kind of turned away. The the overriding story, in my opinion, Bill, is that the jury pool has been so poisoned by the drumbeat of publicity and the hate that's been directed against Derek Chauvin that it's very hard to see how he can get a, a fair trial. And we saw this over and over again in jury selection. People would come up and they would say, I've seen the video, you know, not, not the 20 minute video that shows what happened before, but the seven minute video that shows the last minutes before the ambulance came. They say, I've seen the video and I think, I think Derek Chauvin killed uh, George Floyd and it's terrible. And I think uh, blacks are discriminated against in the criminal justice system. And I actually participated in a protest. Some of these, some of these jurors have said after the George Floyd incident, but I can be fair. I can keep an open mind, right? Wait a minute. Some of the actual jurors, the ones who were selected said that? Yeah, yeah that, that was good enough to get you out of the jury. That would not get you stricken for cause. And, and, and some went beyond that and did get stricken for cause. But there, there, that, that is a pretty typical. So uh, there are people on the jury who were part of a protest. Yeah, I believe there's a couple. So, how, how could you live in that area and not have heard about it? Well, that's the point, Bill. That's the point. And, and, and the, the defense has moved for a change of venue a couple of times, and the judge has denied it in part because there isn't anywhere you could move to that hasn't been inundated with pretrial publicity. But here's my point, Bill. It's Can you just, go out of state? No, the judge has okay. no jurisdiction you know, to, to change the venue other than to a different okay. location in Minnesota. Okay. Okay, go ahead. But the real problem, Bill, it's not just that there's been a lot of publicity about the case. It's the nature of the publicity. So the day after George Floyd died, the mayor of Minneapolis said publicly, why are these police officers still on the loose? They should be in jail. And they were promptly arrested. Our governor, Tim Walls, has publicly branded Derek Chauvin a murderer. And uh, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, which is the dominant media voice in this, in this market, 
for the last, you know, nine months, I think it's been something like that, but it's been about, yeah, about nine months, probably on the average two or three times a day, they have run stories that have simply said as a fact with no qualification that these Minneapolis police officers killed George Floyd. And they think they're being neutral because they say killed rather than murdered, right? And and so that's what everybody believes. They've all seen the video and they think they're seeing Derek Chauvin kill George Floyd. And the only question is, did he do it on purpose, which is homicide, murder, second degree murder, or did he do it accidentally, you know, which would be manslaughter? And, and nobody knows, virtually nobody knows that Derek Chauvin actually has a defense. And that if you put the... What is it? The defense is that, that what the police officers did had nothing to do with Floyd's death. Floyd died from a drug overdose. He had two to three times the lethal uh, limit of, of fentanyl in his, in his blood and the autopsy uh, showed no sign of uh, any any damage from from Chauvin kneeling on him. His the structures in his neck were completely undamaged, but it, they, but it did show you know this overdose of uh, of fentanyl as well as methamphetamine and other drugs in his system. And it showed that his lungs were heavy. When they weighed his lungs in the autopsy, they weighed, I think, about twice as much as normal. Well, the way that fentanyl kills you if you take too much of it is your lungs fill up with fluid and you can't breathe. Yeah. And so, and so that was documented in the autopsy. It was documented in the toxicology report. And if you see the video, the body cam video, for the 20 minutes or so before George Floyd at his own insistence is lying on the street. What you see is him over and over telling the police officers, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And the reason he can't breathe is because he's overdosed on fentanyl and his lungs are filling up with fluid. And everybody who's seen the seven minute video at the end, they see Floyd saying, I can't breathe. And they think, well, you so-and-so Derek Chauvin you're choking him. Get your knee off his throat. He can't breathe. And what people don't realize is he's been saying he can't breathe for the last half hour. And the reason is because he's overdosed on fentanyl. So, so, uh, you know, so in, in, in simple terms, you know, that's the defense. Now we'll see what evidence comes in at trial. We'll see how the expert witnesses testify and so on. But, but the jury pool has been so thoroughly poisoned by, by pretrial publicity that um, it's going to be news to every one of these jurors that, that Derek Chauvin actually has a defense. And the other thing, Bill, is that everyone knows, you know, the rioters have already come to town and, you know, they're already here and they're poised and ready to riot. The businesses in downtown Minneapolis have all gotten letters from the city of Minneapolis talking about the idea that they may, they, they may want to install permanent, you know, barriers uh, they, they may want to hire private security. And that one thing they definitely should do is get all of their important papers off site. Well, why, why, why should you get all of your important papers off site? Because yeah, your yeah, why? is likely to be burned down, right? Everybody, everybody sees. Oh. And so, and so the jurors have all been asked, are you worried about your own safety? If you return a verdict of not guilty? And many jurors have said, yeah, I'm worried about that. And, and Bill, the Minneapolis Police Department was not able to defend 
its own third precinct station house. It was burned. I remember. I remember. It was, it was abandoned and burned by rioters. And so any anybody who was thinking about being on this jury is going to think to himself, well, if they couldn't protect their own third precinct station house, you know, why should I believe they're going to protect my house from rioters? So yeah. there's that element, you know, the 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 threat that if the jury doesn't come back with the right verdict, the city is going to burn. Can we come back to the specific, the knee was on the neck or the back? Well, there were multiple knees. You know, this is a okay. common method of restraining a prisoner. Okay. It is taught by the Minneapolis Police Department. It's in their training videos. It's in their training manual. And so Derek Chauvin is, is kneeling with one, one knee on the ground, which is where most of his weight is. And then the other knee is on the, the neck area. And then there's another couple of guys. One guy, I think, is kneeling on his legs, and I think maybe one okay, on his midsection. Okay. But this is a – and the reason they're doing this, Bill, is because is because George Floyd is in this emotional state. He's crying. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. Hysterical. And all they want him to do is to sit in the back seat of the squad car until the ambulance comes. They call the ambulance. They okay. – they, and all they want him to do is to sit in the back seat, and he won't do it. And he's a big, strong guy. They can't make him sit in the back seat. He rolls out onto the street, and he insists. He says, I want to lie in the street. I don't. He says he's claustrophobic. He doesn't want to be in the back seat. He insists on lying on the street. That's the only reason he's there. And so they restrain him in one of the ways that they're taught as police officers by uh, having him on his side and, and kneeling on him simply to restrain him until the ambulance comes. So that's, the, that's why he's on the street. Let me ask you, I'm not, who, who is the guy in Perry Mason who's the prosecutor who always loses to Perry? Oh, yeah, what was his name? Hamilton, is it Hamilton? Hamilton Berger, Hamilton Berger. Okay. <laughs> All right, Hamilton Berger, here I am, Hamilton Berger. Um, is, there, is there, in fact, audio of him saying, I want to lie in the street? Oh, there's video. Yeah. Video. Okay, the so you can hear it. Video, yeah. Somebody in law enforcement leaked the body cam video. Okay. Uh, because everybody had seen the last seven minutes, but nobody had seen what came before. When they came in to be impaneled as jurors, I don't think any of them had any idea that Derek Chauvin has a defense. So they will hear maybe many of them for the first time that he said, I want to lie in the street. Yeah, they'll see they'll see the 20 minutes of okay. body cam video. It'll be really interesting to see what impact that has. And if, 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 if there's anything at this point that's enough to change their minds. OK, let's go back to the fentanyl and the heavy lungs. Supposing I'm lying there in the street with heavy lungs with fentanyl. I'm Hamilton Berger now. And I say to the expert witness or the coroner, if I have heavy lungs and fentanyl, is it helpful to have a knee on the back of my neck? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, he's also frothing at the mouth, uh, which, which is another, okay. another symptom of it's the same thing. The liquid. He's actually frothing at the mouth, which is another symptom of fentanyl. All right, doctor, no matter what went on beforehand is what the officers are doing helpful to his physical condition or not? You know, I, I guess you could ask doctors that question or ask the medical examiner that question, uh, and I don't know how they would answer it. The, the autopsy report actually lists multiple factors, including police restraint. The, 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 med, the official okay. medical examiner works for the county, um, he just kind of put it out there without really rendering an opinion. He met with the original lawyers on the case from the county attorney's office. And he said, look, if I hadn't seen the video and this body was just brought to me as somebody who died in his home or who died, you know, whatever, I would say he died of a fentanyl overdose. 
but but because he'd seen the video and there's all this controversy and so on, you know, he he added it in his in his top line a reference to police restraint. So so whether that was a factor, I I, I you know I think is going to be an issue at trial. Okay, and they don't know about the twenty minutes ahead of time. They're going to hear about that. Yours at this point, uh, they'll learn about that for the first time on Monday. The other thing going on, Bill, that's kind of interesting is. You know, this prosecution has been taken over by the Minnesota Attorney General's office run by Keith Ellison. There's an assistant attorney general who seems to be the lead guy on the prosecution team, along with other staffers from the AG's office. They have volunteer lawyers, uh, both from local firms and from national firms. There's a guy who is in the Obama Department of Justice. They've got they've got the dream team of prosecutors. They've got I don't know how many, 10, 15 lawyers working for the prosecution, some of them donating their time because um, they're so eager to get Derek Chauvin convicted. And Derek Chauvin has one lawyer, uh, a guy named Eric Nelson. He's it. Uh, and maybe there's a paralegal somewhere. Maybe he's got any good. I hope so. You know, I've watched some of the jury selection. You know, you don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. No, I didn't do criminal law, Bill, as you probably know. And I don't, I don't know that bar. All I can say is that simply from watching some of the jury selection, it seemed like he was okay, but it's a total David and Goliath situation. And it's interesting to see how the jury responds to that. You've got Derek Chauvin sitting there with one guy. And on the other side, you've got this cast of thousands trying to put, put Chauvin away. Yeah. It does sound like the OJ thing, doesn't it? It's kind of the dream team. Except on the opposite side now. Right. So what's going to happen? I don't know, Bill. There's a legal wrinkle here where the judge, who's a good judge, is doing a good job, uh, did not. I think he, I forget if they didn't plead it or if he dismissed it. I think he dismissed it. But the the third degree murder count, there's a legal question as to whether it can apply in this case. And, And there was a decision out of the Minnesota Court of Appeals like two weeks ago which reversed a trial court decision in the Muhammad Noor case, you know, where, where the, where the, where the police officer shot the woman for no apparent reason, who was the one oh, who yeah. called 911. That was a shot. Yeah. Well, the, the trial court there held that third degree murder couldn't apply on the facts of that case. And for the same reason, it wouldn't apply here. I want to even go into the explanation why, but it's a, for a good reason. But the Minnesota Court of Appeals reversed that and said, no, no, it can apply, even though there's only one person involved, not multiple people. Um, and so that third degree murder count has now been reinstated. But the Noor case, meanwhile, is going to the Minnesota Supreme Court, which will have the last word on whether third degree murder is in or out. So one thing, you know, that theoretically could happen is that the jury here could find third degree murder. And then three months from now or six months from now, the Minnesota Supreme Court might reverse the Minnesota Court of Appeals, reinstate the ruling of the trial court in the Noor case and say, no, that doesn't apply. They, I understand. Uh, what about this question of, and I've never quite understood it, maybe it's local jurisdiction decides it, but if you go for third degree and you don't get it, is he free? Or can the jury come back and say, we didn't think three, but we think one? Well, you know, he's, he's charged, he's what's, what's now apparently going to go to the jury. And obviously, you know, the, the, it's up to the trial court having heard the evidence, but presumably what goes to the jury is second degree murder, third degree murder and manslaughter. And, um, and one, one, you know, certainly possible outcome is for the jury to say, look, it, it, it's kind of crazy to believe that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd on purpose, honestly. 
you know, uh, on the street with cameras rolling. Uh, what these guys did is they tried to save his life. You know, they're the ones who called the ambulance. And, and, and so it's easy to imagine, imagine a jury saying, look, we don't buy murder. We don't think he intentionally did this, but we do think that uh, it was reckless. I forget the exact language in the Minnesota manslaughter statute, you know, but, but uh, not intentional, but reckless uh, conduct resulting yeah. in his death. And I, and if I had to, if I had to guess what the jury might do, you know, I think that's a pretty strong possibility. He get what five years? Yeah, I don't. I'd have to go back and look at what the, you know, what 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 the potential right. sentence is in Minnesota. But yeah, obviously, it would be less than a than a murder sentence. Say he got three five years on on the scenario you just described. Would the city go crazy? Would people go nuts? Would they burn yeah, down the city? So. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the rioters, to tell you the truth, Bill, I think there'll be riots no matter what the jury does. I think yeah. the rioters are here and they intend to riot. They're planning to riot. And I don't think that they're, that some of them at least will change their minds no matter what the verdict is. But, but I do think that uh, what they're really poised for is that if, if it's only manslaughter, let alone if it's an acquittal, uh, but if it's only manslaughter, I think that is going to be the pretext for uh, burning down what's left of the city. Wow. Wow. And, and Bill, you know, we've, got, we've got the National Guard has been called out. The National Guard is now patrolling downtown Minneapolis. The Hennepin County Government Center, where I tried a number of jury cases as a, as a lawyer, is now surrounded with concrete barriers and barbed wire. There is no other business being conducted in the government center, which is a which is a two sided, you know, with an atrium in between 24, 25 story building. It's a it's a I've big been there. Building. I've yeah. been there. Yeah. And there's no there's no other business being done except this trial. So the jurors will 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 park underground at the government center. Uh, and then they'll be whisked up the elevator, you know, in this cold, dark, tomb like building to the only room where there's anything going on, and that's the Derek Chauvin trial. And, and they'll see the barriers and the barbed wire and the National Guard and the protesters. And it's just, it's an unbelievable environment in which to try to give a defendant a fair trial. But what about this? There was, there was this story, again, I haven't followed it, but early on there was a story about a history between Chauvin and, and Floyd. Yeah, Chauvin. Chauvin worked uh, part time as a lot of officers do as a as a uh, you know a bouncer, a security guy at a bar. I don't think that panned out into anything. Okay, all right. Okay. Here's a story though that is kind of interesting, Bill. Almost exactly a year before this incident, there was another incident where George Floyd got arrested, and it was almost a carbon copy. It's just weird. He was crying. He was calling for his mother. He was emotional. He was ingesting drugs in the back seat of the squad car, just as he did here, you know, and he was carrying on to an extent where a paramedic said to him, you got to settle down, you're going to have a heart attack or a stroke. And this is almost exactly a year before the incident that we all know about. And, and the judge, Judge Cahill has ruled that 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 incident, evidence about that incident is going to be admissible for the limited purpose of going to cause of death, which of course is the, you know, the big issue in the Let's go to the board. Well, what do we say? I mean, Mayorka, the Secretary of Homeland Security, says the border's closed. You know, Bill, it's the, the whole border crisis is so interesting to me in a couple of ways. Number one, now we've really got kids in cages, right? And so it's kind of a test for the press. You know, do they still care yeah, about a Democratic president? 
and and they're obviously kind of embarrassed by it. Um, but but I think that's one whole, one interesting angle. After all the hysteria, you know, when it was when it was Trump. And the second thing that's interesting to me is it's and again this should be blindingly obvious. If you don't want chaos at the border, and if you don't want some of these human tragedies that come with the traffickers and you know all that kind of stuff and you know, the, 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 the shorthand, you know, kids in cages. If you don't want that, it seems obvious to me that what you should do is discourage people in Honduras and Guatemala and so on from thinking it's a good idea to come. And that's what Trump did. We've got, we've got Biden, you know, inviting all these people and the administration acts like it's surprised, right? I mean, what about, what about this should be a surprise? Of course, thousands of people are making their way to the border. Of course, there's a lot of unaccompanied children. Of course, you have to figure out something to do with them. Of course, thousands and thousands of of people are just being let loose inside the United States without any pretense that they're going to show up for a hearing someday, you know? Of course that's all happening. And 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 now the administration is 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 acting like it's like it's surprised. You probably saw the pictures, Bill, like I did. At one point, this goes back a couple of weeks now, I think. There was there was this whole, you know, column of 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 people arriving at the border. And and they're coming from Central America or maybe Mexico. And and hundreds of these people are wearing identical t-shirts. Yeah. And the t-shirts say Joe Biden and Biden has got like the logo from his campaign. And somebody obviously has paid to make all these t-shirts and to distribute them to these hundreds or maybe thousands, I don't know, of people making their way down the highway. And our reporters are so lacking in curiosity, apparently, that as far as I can tell, nobody ever asked, you know, what the heck's the deal with these T-shirts? Why don't they just ask the president of Mexico to reinstate the stay in Mexico policy? Well, there's, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a couple of days behind on the border story, uh, Bill. And so I'm not sure I'm quite up to speed. There's been talk about that. You know, there's been talk about on our end saying, no, 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 we've changed our minds. You got to stay in Mexico. And there's been talk about the administration going to the president of Mexico and trying to kind of reinstate some of the things Trump was doing to, in terms of cooperation there. And I think one of the things that we're seeing, Bill, that the administration is seeing, open borders are not popular. They're not popular. You know, uh, the Americans want our immigration laws to be respected. Uh, They have sympathy. Most Americans have sympathy for the so-called dreamers, you know, the people that got brought here as kids. But it's not the case that Americans want open borders and just endless millions of Central Americans, you know, flooding across the Rio Grande. That's not popular. And, and, and I get the feeling that this is a surprise to, to, to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, like they thought it was going to be. And see, she's in charge now. Do you know that? Yeah. yeah. I saw that. It just, just seems so odd because her statements in the past were, you know, AOC type statements, get rid of ICE and, you know, all right. that. And right. She does not seem to be the right person. Well, uh, Bill, I mean, I'm not sure there. I don't know that there is a pro-law no. enforcement wing of the Democratic no. Party. You know, they're all abolish ICE, et cetera. Well, the thing is, yeah, I see I, what's hurting them, I think, are these like these local Democrat mayors and Henry Cuellar, the congressman yeah. Yeah. who are who are living there, you know, yeah. and um, they are really starting to complain. Does this hurt Biden? I think it hurts him badly. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I do too. I, I do too. Fiasco 
for the administration. Even the nightly news, even the network news, you know, has been running footage of, uh, you know, crisis at the border. No, I think I think it's it's very damaging. I, I was on the other night with Harold Ford, whom I like. You know, you, I'm, you've probably been on with him. You've seen him. I wish all Democrats were as sensible as he is. But I thought he made, a, for the first time in a while, a very nonsensical or nonsensical argument. You've got to understand the situation of these people. They'll walk 800 miles to get to the United States because their situation is so desperate. And when you understand how much better the United States is than where they're coming from, you will see why they will continue to come and you can sort of support where they're coming. But where does that argument go? I mean, virtually 90 percent of the world or 80 percent of the world is way behind the United States. And if that's moral justification for coming, we're, you know, we're done. Two and a half billion people then are justified to come. Where does it end? That's Am I exactly right? right. That, Bill, you, that is exactly correct. What's the what's the limiting principle? You know, what's yeah. the limiting principle? Is it just come one, come all? Yeah. Um, you know, we're a country, Bill. We're a country. And a country yeah. has to have a border. If it doesn't have a border, it's not a country. And one of the things going on here is um, – if you all of a sudden take 5 million unskilled people and, and add them to the labor market in the United States, you're going to drive down the cost of unskilled labor, which is why the Chamber of Commerce is, is pro-illegal immigration. I understand. And this is back, goes back to what we were saying earlier about the power of this lobby. Where is the Congressional Black Caucus? It, it, who, well, that is so true. Who, who's going to lose these jobs? In years gone by, there were a number, I, I, and I, I, want, I don't want to toss out names because I could be wrong, but who was the Congress? Barbara Jordan, was it from Texas? There yeah, were a sure. number of black uh, Congress people who were very strong on this issue. Cesar Chavez, Cesar yeah. Chavez was yeah, 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 very yeah. strong on the immigration issue. And this is part of when, when Donald Trump talked about America first, this is part of what he was talking about. Our government has a duty to... Our people, people who are now American citizens. And and if you allow five million illegal immigrants to all of a sudden flood across the border and, and that inevitably drives down the price of unskilled labor, you are hurting the most vulnerable Americans. You're, you're helping wealthy people in Beverly Hills who will be able to get gardening services even cheaper or even cheaper nannies, you know, for their young children. You're helping them, but you're really, you're, you're, you're devastating uh, the most vulnerable Americans who are, who are themselves unskilled or semi-skilled and trying to work their way up the ladder. And, and Donald Trump understood that. And that was a part of what he meant when he said America first. And to your point, Bill, there are billions of people around the world who would be much better off if they were in the United States. But that, that's not the job of our government. They interviewed a guy on uh, TV about a year ago who came from Africa and he got on a raft and he you know, went across the ocean and got to Central America, went up through Central into Mexico to cross the border. They said, boy, that's a lot of trouble. He said, yeah, compared to what? I mean, I got a chance to live in Arizona compared to coming out of, uh, of uh, Somalia. Right, right. Sorry about Somalia. You got little Somalia there, right there in Minnesota, right? Well, it's going to be the big Somalia if they if they keep them coming, you know. Um, nobody knows the number of uh, of Somali immigrants and second generation Somali Americans, uh, but but there's there's a lot of them in Minnesota, no doubt. How does this end, John? How does this end? Um, do they go back to Trump policy and, and call it something else? Uh, you know, I mean, tr Trump, whatever you think of him, and I liked him, supported him, 
kind of, you know, you had these things kind of under control. It was limited numbers. It was, you know, it was, it was that crazy. And now it's crazy. Do they got to go back to this? I don't, I don't think they will, Bill. I mean, what they don't like is the visuals. This is why they've actually barred some reporters from coming to the, no. you know, stop, physically stop them. And, and it's not the reporting they're afraid of. It's the videos and the pictures. And that's what they don't want is the visuals. So I, I think that what they're, what they're going to be desperately looking for is a path forward where, where you don't have the, the shots of the kids in cages. You know, you don't have the, you know, the, the, the processions of people crossing the border. Uh, but at the same time, what you do have is millions of people coming in. They, they want, they, they just don't want it to be so visible and so high profile. All right. The times in which we live, John, thank you very much. We know how hard you work with your show and the, the center. And, um, we're so grateful to you. Always good and always fun. Even in these divided times, we always have some good times. So thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Bill. Bye. That does it for today's show. Catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to the Bill Bennett show.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 